Welcome to your weekly Biker News Wrap-Up! Charles Ray, Pennsylvania! Six members of the Pagans Motorcycle Club have been charged with attempted homicide after allegedly attacking a former member inside a bar, authorities said. Surveillance video of the attack, which happened in April inside the Slovak Club, was shown in court as the six men faced a judge. The video shows the victim and his wife sitting at the bar. When the men walked in, the victim can be seen reaching out to shake hands before being punched, kicked, and stomped on. The attack lasted less than a minute. Police said the victim, a former local president of the Pagans who is now with another motorcycle club, was flown to a hospital. He continues to recover. Defense attorneys for the suspects argued Tuesday that the video does not capture what is happening on the ground. The victim's wife testified she crawled between the suspects kicking legs in an attempt to get to her husband. Quote, I went for my gun because I was afraid they were going to kill him, she said. That many on one person? Yeah, pull that trigger. The victim's wife said her husband suffered a traumatic brain injury, two broken eye sockets, and a broken nose, and had a stroke. He now walks with a cane. All six men charged in the attack are being held without bond. In addition to a attempted homicide, they are charged with conspiracy. Two more members of the Pagans have been arrested, and their hearings are in August. Next story is coming up, and we got out of Australia. A Hells Angels bikey accused of ambushing and bashing a man outside his home before leaving him unconscious on the footpath has been found guilty of murder. Mark Boyce, 36, suffered a fatal brain injury when he was beaten outside his home on Hill Street at Elizabeth South in the Andalaya's northern suburbs in January of 2017. The prosecution alleged Joshua Roy Grant, 27, was one of the three men from the Hells Angels motorcycle gang who attacked Mr. Boyce before leaving him unconscious. The court heard Mr. Boyce was repeatedly kicked, punched, and stomped on. His life support was turned off eight days later. During the trial, South Australia's Supreme Court heard Mr. Boyce's friend was the attended target of the attack. So they got the wrong guy. Grant pleaded guilty to manslaughter but denied the more serious charge of murder, with his lawyer challenging prosecution allegations that Grant was the one who kicked the victim in the head. It's a he said, she said thing now. After four and a half hours of deliberation, the Supreme Court jury unanimously found Grant guilty of murder. 
Outside court, the victim's father, Malcolm Boyce, was emotional as he spoke briefly to the media, thanking prosecutors and police detectives for their work. Quote, I'm very happy with the outcome. We got justice for him, Mr. Boyce said. He was my only son, my only child, and besides being a son, he was a good mate as well. Jesus Christ, guys. During the trial, Prosecutor Emily Tuffler told the court, Mr. Boyce, quote, was in the wrong place at the wrong time. It's alleged that the assault and events leading to the assault were no spur-of-the-moment dispute that got out of hand, she said. Quote, Rather, it is alleged that the assault on Mr. Boyce followed from a deliberately planned and carefully executed ambush. He tried to run from the man, but he was caught and pulled to the ground. Grant remains in custody with sentencing submissions to be heard at a later date. Can't do one-on-one -on -one anymore, man, I tell you. Jesus, man. <laughs> Laz Blaine, Harley's brand saver electric street bike has been finally launched fully. And here are some of the figures of consequence. 105 horsepower, 116 Nm of torque, 15.5 kilowatt battery, 146 miles of city grain, 70 miles of highway riding, and level one of a charge. We already knew at the end of last year that the live wire will ride on lovely Shamula balance resist uh, suspension with very unharley like Brembo monoblock ABS stoppers. By CES in January, we learned it will rock lean angle sensitive ABS and traction control systems and 4.3 inch color touchscreen with navigation built in. Now we also know acceleration starts 0 to 60 in 3 seconds flat and overtaking bursts from 60 to 90 in a sprightly 1.9 seconds and indeed charging times flat to full in an hour on a level 3 DC fast charger with the 80% mark taking 40 minutes and interestingly while the live wire can charge on a level 2 system It'll trickle charge at the level one rate, giving you only 13 miles worth of a range for an hour's charge, like what you'd get plugging into the wall at home. So, be prepared for a 12.5 hour wait if you need to go from zero to 100 and there's no level three charger around. There will be reprogrammable uh, regen break-in water cooling of the Revelation powertrain to prevent thermal throttling and the bike's weight will be reasonably decent 549 pounds or 248 kilograms. The live wire is also capable of a 45 degree lean angle in either direction which may set a new record for the brand. All in all, not a lot of surprises. This is a really nice looking electric motorcycle with a decent enough range for urban and city outskirts work. More than enough performance for a fun and snappy ride and some premium features that will make it a pleasure to deal with day and day.
Again, it'd be a good city bike, I have to admit that. Unfortunately, there's no change to the key metric that might make the biggest difference to whether this thing will seek or swim in the market. The blistering 297999 price tag, which makes it a very expensive proposition no matter whether you're comparing it to the premium combustion bikes or other electrics. But it's a Harley. Harleys always look expensive for what you get if you're looking at that spec sheet. And in our limited experience, they also deliver a unique and compelling experience. Who knows? It just might work. We have kind of hope it does that according to the writers of this article. And again, I think the live wire, you know, electric is the wave of the future. You know what? Give it 20 years. That's what you're going to see with a lot of cars, a lot of semis, and a lot of uh, motorcycles. There's no way getting around that. The generations that are coming uh, up now, that's their gig, man. That, you know, they're all, at, you know, they're all environmental friendly and stuff. So this is what they're looking for. So Harley Davidson's trying to give them what they want, but at almost, I guarantee, over thirty thousand dollars with tax, dock fees, and delivery and all that stuff. That's just going to be too much for the riders coming up. Christ, they can't even afford to use Harleys right now. So, you know, I think they're reaching out to that one crowd of yuppies, and that's the way it's going to go. But, you know, it's a sad thing, too. And personally, I like electric type of stuff. I like the Zero, though. Because the Zero, with the extra pack, you can go over 300 miles. And, you know, I think the level 3 charging systems, actually, on Amazon, need to get one of them things for 500 bucks for your thing. And the network of charging stations, if they get the infrastructure in nationwide, you're looking at a pretty good deal, man. You're looking at hardly any money as far as going across country if they can get the infrastructure in. Motorcycle Madhouse on Spotify and iTunes Radio. Final suspect arrested in the alleged Modesto Hells Angel meth ring. Michael Peck, 32, a prospect with the Modesto Hells Angel Motorcycle Club, has been arrested in connection with an alleged methamphetamines distribution ring. A justice spokeswoman said that Peck was, he was arrested right quick after federal agents failed to locate him during a June 25th sweep that netted club president Randy Peachy, 61, his wife, and Michael Miz, 61, pack a Modesto resident was arraigned in federal court in Frenzo on Tuesday. Search warrants executed at the seven locations. Officers executed search warrants at seven locations June 25th, including the Hells Angels Clubhouse in Modesto. Court documents allege that Randy Piche led a drug conspiracy and directed his wife to regularly deliver drugs to mites and others in Cirrus. Randy also enlisted Pat to help obtain meth on at least one occasion. 
Pack was stopped by law enforcement officers and was found with 499 grams of meth on him. In addition, the court documents allege that Randy directed Tina to drive from Modesto to Redding to deliver meth to a customer. On the way, Tina was stopped by law enforcement and found with approximately 4 ounces of meth, which she had wrapped in a plastic glove and hidden in a cup of soda. Defendants are facing 10-year minimum sentences. This case involved the FBI and Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, the IRS Criminal Investigation, the Central Valley Gang Impact Task Force, the Modesto and Turlock Police Departments, and the County District Attorney's Office, the California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation, and the California Highway Patrol. Assistant U.S. Attorneys Ross Pearson and Laurel Montagna are prosecuting the case. If convicted, each defendant faces a maximum statutory penalty of life in prison, a mandatory minimum of 10 years in prison, and a million dollar fine. Holy cow, holy cow, was it worth it? That's all I have to ask. Katie Malbaimi, Providence, the Burl Bill man depicted by authorities as the leader of a violent motorcycle gang and Woonsocket drug enterprises out of home confinement after a judge this week threw out the wiretap investigators used on his phone. Superior Court Judge Nettie Bogo on Wednesday suppress the wiretap of Derek McGuire's phones from July 7th to E 17 on after concluding that under state law only the Superior Court's presiding justice or the next senior superior, or superior court judge can authorize such interceptions according to John Cecilian, a lawyer involved in the case. He goes on to quote, they lose the wire, it's far from over, but it's significant, said Cecilian, whose father, John, argued the motion to suppress. Hmm. McGuire, who had been held without bail, was released on home confinement the same day. Christy DeRace, a spokeswoman for Attorney General Peter Narara's office, declined comment other than to say the state planned to appeal. State Police Captain John Elfred also declined comment. For almost a year, state and federal agents wiretapped at least seven different telephones used by McGuire, capturing, they say, his recruitment to lead a new Rhode Island chapter of the Pagan's Outlaw Motorcycle Gang and documenting his illegal drug operation. The investigation dubbed Operation Patched Out led to 29 raids in May 2018 and the seizure of drugs and weapons, including a rocket launcher. Really? 50 people were arrested with charged with crimes, authorities say, tied to two Woonsocket-based Motorcycle gangs, the pagans, and the Krypton men.
or however the hell you say it. McGuire 33 faces more than 220 narcotics and weapons charges. Donna Uman, who represents Catherine Glode, joined in the suppression motion along with lawyers representing with other defendants. Quote, the Rhode Island wiretap law is so narrow. There's no room for error, Omen said. John Sicilian challenged the validity of the wiretap warrants because state law specifies that only Superior Court presiding Justice Alice B. Gibney or the most senior Superior Court judge, in this case Robert Cross, can sign a wiretap warrant in her absence. Instead, Superior Court Judge Melanie Thornburg had signed off on many of the warrants. Quote, any wiretap order she signed is out. It's for all the cell phones involved, Ullman said. Gibney asked Thornburg to handle the warrants involved in the case when Gibney was out on leave because it would have created a conflict for Krauss to later preside over the cases. Krauss oversees the gun court, which handles cases involving guns such as the bikers, and is presiding over the cases. Like McGuire, other defendants are also being released after remaining behind bars for more than a year, she said. She credited Judge Vogel's decision as being, quote, so thorough that she said it will be difficult for the state to find grounds upon which to appeal. So basically, they found that back door. Well, we'll see what the Supreme Court will do, said John, who represents Mazo of North Providence. The 1,274-page affidavit that supported dozens of searches of homes, cars, and motorcycles told of agents tapping at least seven of McGuire's phones and capturing conversations related to his transition from being a former thug rider into a patch member of the Pagans. It's chronicled, too, the state police investigation into biker activity that began in February 2017 when a confidential source told the detectives that members of the Thug Riders were drug dealing and that tensions were growing among Rhode Island's many motorcycle clubs. That tension boiled over on April 8, 2017. State chapters of the Outlaws and the Thug Riders scheduled social events on that same day at their clubhouses, less than a mile apart from each other in Moonsocket. The annual Outlaw Party also drew members of various other motorcycle clubs. Before the day was over, members of the Thug Riders were making a slow, intimidating drive-bys on their bikes in front of the Outlaws Clubhouse at 19 Fabian Street, as well as the Hells Angels Clubhouse on Messer Street in Providence. Members of the Hells Angels gave chase, catching one of the thug riders, knocking him off his bike, and throwing him through a house window on Bailey Street, the affidavit says. It was the threat of more violence, the state police said, 
that prompted them and federal agents to move when they did in May. Hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. By Kevin Shea, NewJersey.com, and Ewing police officer was arrested Wednesday morning on a murder charge accusing him of causing the traumatic injuries that killed his three-month-old daughter in December. I say go medieval on him. Daniel Bannister, 31, who also lives in Ewing, is accused of killing Haley Bannister in what Mercer County Prosecutor Angelo Ornanupi said in a statement was an ongoing pattern of abuse. He's been suspended with pay since shortly after his daughter's suspicious death. He's been a Ewing police officer since 2017. Bannister's wife, Catherine Bannister, 29, who is Haley's mother, was also arrested Wednesday and charged with second degree endangering the welfare of a child. The charges against the couple came after the prosecutor's office received additional testing following Haley's autopsy performed in December, which they said showed Haley's death, uh, cause of death was blunt impact trauma to her head, including skull fractures and hemorrhages. What a I can't, I won't even go there. The nature of Haley's injuries indicated an ongoing pattern of abuse, said in the statement. The Middlesex County Medical Examiner's Office, which performed an autopsy in December, ultimately ruled the girl's death a homicide. Mercer County homicide detectives were involved in the death investigation early on due to the suspicious nature of the girl's injuries, the office said. Haley's death was first announced in a GoFundMe page created on behalf of her mother, Catherine Bannister. That's why you gotta watch out for these GoFundMe pages, please, guys. The fundraising page created on December 7th entitled Hope for Haley Rose said the girl suffered a catastrophic brain injury on December 5th and was being treated in a pediatric intensive care unit and not expected to recover. The fundraising page said Wednesday the campaign was complete with over $17,000 raised. The prosecutor's office said Wednesday that Ewing's EMS service responded to the home on December 5th for a report of an unconscious, unresponsive three-month-old having difficulty breathing. EMTs found the baby in cardiac arrest and not breathing and took her to Capital Health Medical Center. Hope well where medical personnel found Haley suffered a fractured skull, brain bleed, and had multiple fractured ribs, the office said. Oh my gosh, man, come on. Haley was transferred to Robert Wood Johnson Children's Hospital in New Brunswick, where she died on December 11th. Daniel Bannister graduated from the Mercer County Police Academy in September of 17 and was making about $45,000 annually when he was suspended. County homicide detectives arrested Daniel Bannister early Wednesday at the Wawa on Sylvia Street in Ewing. 
The prosecutor's office said they will seek to detain both Bannisters pending the outcome of the criminal cases against them. Hopefully they got a death penalty, but first, once he gets into the joint, hopefully they go medieval on him and then put him to death. You're listening to Hollywood on Motorcycle Madhouse on iTunes and all major podcasting platforms. Your online radio, the new online radio that makes you happy. Even the other stations are tuned in too. Yo, what's up? Baby, let's go. Prattville, Alabama. WSFA, a Montgomery woman has been arrested after a Prattville police said she intentionally struck a motorcyclist with her vehicle in an act of road rage. Malia Lauren Dollar Gearwell was arrested Monday following an investigation into an accident late Sunday evening in the area of Cobbs Ford Road and Old Farm Lane. Investigators were called to the area in response to an assault involving a case of road rage. Detectives determined that Dollar, 35, was driving a yellow 2017 Chevy Camaro when she and motorcyclists got into a verbal altercation. Authorities said the victim and other witnesses confirmed he attempted to drive away from Dollar. He has such a long name, let me tell you. It was at that moment when police say the woman followed the biker, then used her vehicle to hit him while he was on the motorcycle. Yeah, I'd say that's road rage. The victim, who has not been identified, was transported to an area hospital suffering from non-life-threatening injuries. Nothing like a woman's scorn, let me tell you. Police later found Dollar's vehicle, identified her, and obtained arrest warrants for second-degree assault. So, yeah, was it worth it, lady? Unfreaking real. That's why you always carry a palm full of ball bearings. Donnelly Biddle! Over the past four years, Dozens of outlaw gang members have returned to New Zealand on the back of Australia's anti-bikey laws. Police are worried their presence will add to the illicit drug trade and increasing gang violence in towns and cities across the country. This according to Donna Lee Biddle again, who's reporting on this story, in a quaint rural town nestled in the heart of King Country, a Toyota Helix blazes down the main street with a flag emblazoned with a bulldog. The Ute, with the men in red barking out the windows like a dog. <laughs> They're largely ignored by patrons visiting the op shop and for square. Tikudi may be the shearing capital of the world, but it's also been home to the King Country chapter of the mongrel mob. For years, the community and the gang 
have lived alongside each other without incident. That was until a gang member returned home from Australia, leaving residents fearful with reports of standover tactics and extortion. Residents say gang members demanded cash from businesses and people. In the some incidences, threatening families unless they pay up. Now, if you guys don't know, they're, you know, it's street gang and biker, you know what I mean. A T. Kuti resident who works with the town's youth and asked not to be named knows all four men involved in the standovers and says a lot of the offending was driven by methamphetamine. I never get it. Why you guys want to smoke that crap? She said the men were good people driven by their addiction. You can't just smoke a joint. All four have been arrested on different charges and their cases are before the courts. But it's not the local gang the youth worker is concerned about. It's the threat of deported outlaw motorcycle members recruiting small town youths who are drawn in by the flashy bikes and gold jewelry that the gang members are found and they are fond of plastering all over social media. Mom 04 Tammy Taparea, who is the niece of a returned gang member, is worried about what the future has in store for her children and says, Youth need more to do. On returning to the city, Recently, after a decade in the Hawks Bay, she realized the town hadn't changed much at all. Tapa Rehi is involved in a few different community groups and wants to see more opportunities in sports, arts, and musics to help prevent the youth in her hometown being drawn into gang life. So basically what they're doing is they're recruiting on a street level, then bringing them into a club. Like cities, several other towns are home to long-standing gangs, such as the Kawara, and uh, I ain't even trying to pronounce that one, in the Bay of Plenty. <laughs> and it's these small towns plagued with poverty and influential youth that are prime targets for outlaw gang members looking to induct new muscle to their cause. Between 2015 and 2018, there were 1,580 people deported from Australia to New Zealand. Of that number, 51 were identified as being a gang member or affiliated to a gang. The list is not exhaustive, so there could have been more gang members, police say. It's a whole different scene in Oz, man. Maybe some of those over in Oz can talk about this. Gang members deported from Australia to New Zealand for failing to meet good character grounds. Huh? Have been... <laughs> what? Have been nicknamed the 501s after the section of Australian Migration Act that enforced their deportation. What a 
about our immigration laws, man. I wish they'd get like that. The largest number of deported bikies were the Rebels Motorcycle Club with 18 members. The Common Chiros, whose members are often posed in social media posts in front of customized motorcycles, had 15 members deported, while the Hells Angels had five members sent back to New Zealand. Those anti-bikey laws are something else over there, man. Several other MC gangs, including the Lone Wolves, Banditos, Nomads, Finks, Mongols, Rock Machine, Highway 61, and Odin's Warriors had one or two members deported. Police have long held concern around the impact of these MC members in New Zealand National Organized Crime Group Detective Sergeant Raymond Suckle said, Suckle. <laughs> New Zealand gangs have always been involved in all levels of the illicit drug trade, ranging from bringing in drugs into the country through to their distribution at the street level. There is little doubt that any gangs establishing themselves here will contribute to the drug trade. Suckle, <laughs> suckle, <laughs> said the highest concentration of gang members were in cities, but there are always reasons to set up and establish in more remote parts of the country. Well, when gangs establish themselves in smaller regions, it can cause members of those communities to feel less safe due to the perceptions that inevitably come with organized crime. Most gangs in New Zealand are actively recruiting and social media is without a doubt a key component to this. Hey, sounds like the United States start a club up just over the internet. Well, it is making, or it's a matter of making your club appear attractive to men within New Zealand who have a natural tendency to gravitate towards that kind of lifestyle that gangs offer. The display of wealth and a quote cool factor is part of this recruitment strategy. And it's not only police trying to deal with the influx of deportees. At a gang hui, the head of the mongrel mob, Sonny Van Petito, made a bold proposal for his gang's traditional rivals, Black Power, to collaborate against the international gangs. Wow. The internationalization of the gangs in New Zealand isn't new. Well, however, the establishment of international gangs has significantly increased with the Australian government's deportation policy. They are here and they are setting up chapters. The deportees will likely face isolation with which will no doubt be socially challenging from, for them. Okay. 
Well, they come with international networks and codes, and our gang social systems here have agreed terms of engagement. The devil you know is always better than the devil you don't. So the best chance of combating the high risk factors around the influx is for the indigenous gangs and those with longevity to maintain the status quo. Keeping an eye on the changing gang landscape from across the ditch is Dr. Carl Bradley, who up until recently taught criminology in Melbourne at the Australian College of Applied Psychology. <laughs> Mr. Wizard! Bradley has also published an on Outlaw Bikers and the Response by the Colonization. He said, Although internationalization of gangs wasn't new in New Zealand, what we're now seeing is MC gangs like Hell's Angels, who were very small in numbers, but quite powerful through their alliances, moving into areas and taking over well-established one-chapter outlaws such as the Mother's MC of Palmerston North. Well, I call it the shadow landscape, the gang landscape. It's something you wouldn't know about unless you were paying attention. But those boundaries are getting stretched, <laughs> getting stretched, and they're probably going to start getting renegotiated. And it's not going to be peaceful. That's Mr. Wizard's take. He said New Zealand is going through a second phase of internalization, internationalization, my bad, where the Australian based gangs are now set up like the rebels and the common charos. Again, it's a lot different over there than it is here in the States. Mikato! Zero's electronic motorcycles are just for recreation. A number of police forces across the country are adopting them for silent, efficient patrols. Now, Mississippi State University has become the latest to get their cops on electric motorcycles. MSU's newest addition to the police force includes two zero electronic motorcycles. And I gotta admit, I like the, you know, the zero. The bikes appear to be the DSRP model, which is the police version of Zero's DSR dual sport electric motorcycle. MSU's chief of police, Vance Rice, announced the purchase of the two zero motorcycles. And he goes on to say, these are not little mopeds or chariots. They are full-size endural-type motorcycles with a top speed of over 90 miles per hour and a faster 0 to 60 time than most gas motorcycles. Which he's right there. 
The motorcycles will be used on a regular basis throughout the year. I am really excited about the response advantage they will give us during game day traffic. Again, this is on a college campus. You know, the city cops, I don't know if they've done this yet. While the MSUPD has long operated foot and bicycle patrols, the new Zero motorcycles will offer them a wider patrol range and the ability to patrol at higher speeds on the roads around the campus, all while maintaining the low noise and high efficiency of their standard patrols. Zero's electric motorcycles have been popular police vehicles for years and have even seen use as military vehicles by armed forces. Everybody getting away from Harley. Earlier this year, an officer on a Zero Patrol motorcycle made headlines when he snapped a picture after pulling over a Tesla in what was dubbed the quietest police pursuit ever. <laughs> Hi, this is James Hollywood Machikari. Join our YouTube channel and get Motorcycle Madhouse and tons of videos related to the bikers. Join now by subscribing for free and become part of the crowd today. Always free and always entertaining. Don't forget to visit us at www.harleyliberty.com for your daily biker news. Rock on! Are we ready? Let's go. 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 Chris Lennon. Members of an outlaw motorcycle gang had been arrested by police at a traffic stop in Catherine. Drug and organized crime gang task force members have seized a motorcycle belonging to a member of the Descendants Outlaw Motorcycle Gang under anti-hooning legislation. An off-duty police officer witnessed a 40-year-old male conduct burnouts on Stewart Highway around 5 p.m. on Sunday. The rider was participating in the Descendants OMCG National Run, which was traveling to Darwin. The 40-year-old was identified by police at a vehicle control point in Catherine. During a search of the male support vehicle, police located a digital camera which allegedly had footage of the burnout from the previous day. The male's motorcycle was seized for a period of 48 hours and he was issued a traffic infringement notice for drive vehicle causing loss of traction. The OMCG member is now without his motorcycle until he can pay the towing and impound cost. Additionally, police also identified several offenses committed by the group of approximately 21 OMCG riders and associates. Three full patch OMCG members, males aged 49, 56, and 62, were arrested at the vehicle control point. The 49-year-old male was charged with possession of Schedule 1 drug less than trafficable quantity unauthorized possession of a Schedule 4 dangerous drug, 
possess thing to administer drug. I can't believe that uh, this off of a camera. The 56 year old male was charged with driving prohibited drug in blood after returning a positive secondary saliva sample to methamphetamines and cocaine. He was also charged with possess less than trafficable quantity of meth. The 62-year-old male was charged with possession of less than trafficable quantity of methamphetamines after police located a clip seal bag of powder in his shirt. A 38-year-old male was issued with an infringement notice for fail to have an approved helmet and an 18-year-old male received an infringement for drive an unregistered motor vehicle. A 23-year-old male was issued a notice to appear for unauthorized possession of Schedule 4 dangerous drug. A further two motorcycles were defected for bald types and damaged suspension. Talking about reaching on behalf of cops, man. I feel for you guys and us. By Foam Forbes, a big one here. Harley Davidson, which has been embroiled in an off-again, on-again battle with President Donald Trump over moving some of its production overseas yesterday lowered its expectations for global sales this year, continuing a downhill trend as it fails to attract younger riders to its century-old hogs in the U.S. and European markets. Well, the Milwaukee-based motorcycle maker expects to ship 212,000 to 217,000 bikes worldwide this year, that range is 5,000 lower than the company's previous forecast and well short of last year's total of 228,000. If Harley's downbeat outlook holds, it will be the fifth straight year of declines for the company, whose sales peaked at 267,000 bikes in 2014. Carlton English writes for the New York Post. On the positive side, if there is one, Harley reported stronger sales in China and other Asian markets and said U.S. sales should improve in the second half of the year. Positive news that offset a cut to its full-year motorcycle forecast and sent shares up 5.3%. Reuters, Cy writes, CEO Matt Lebedich credited the performance to the company's decision to set up a plant in Thailand to serve the Southeast Asian market as well as China. The decision had drawn flack from both Trump as well as Harley's labor unions. The move, however, has allowed the American icon to circumvent the region's tariff barriers and price its bikes more competitively, resulting in a 77% jump in sales in Southeast Asia during the June quarter, Cy adds. Quote, We are in a tough environment, Levetich tells the Wall Street Journal's Austin Hufford and Micaiah Maidenberg. It's going to take time. We are very confident that what we are doing is working. Harley wants to sell half of its motorcycles overseas by 2027, up from 42% last year. It is introducing new models including an electric-powered motorcycle 
racing style sports bikes and so-called adventure bikes that can be used on an unpaved trail as well as a paved street. The company expects to release its $30,000 all-electric motorcycle called the Livewire in September. Hufford and Maidenberg continued, Harley's financial troubles are nothing new, but it's a focus on other non-U.S. markets is. The company has pushed to gain more market share in China and the rest of Asia, places where motorcycles are much more a part of everyday life. Ooh, what a kick in the balls here. Lebetich has stated in the past the company plans to eventually derive half of the Harley-Davidson's revenue from outside the U.S. Kyle Hyatt reminds us on CNN's Roadshow blog. Hyatt summarizes that Harley's optimism for the rest of the year is rooted in its expectations for the live wire, which will be its first electric vehicle. I think it's going to be a bomb. The live wire situation is one that could honestly go either way for HD. The motorcycle is expensive, unlike any of its other bikes in terms of riding dynamics and performance. And of course, it's electric. Though we didn't really like it when we had it out on the roads of Oregon, if its core demographic fails to embrace the model once the tech-savvy early adapters get their pre-orders, Harley's outlook could become less sunny in a hurry, Hyatt continues, which I think it will. It's not going to sell at that price. That core demographic, though, has been more the source of Harley's woes in recent years rather than the solution to its slump. Cool. The bottom line is that they continue struggling with baby boomers and it's not enough to offset the declines we're seeing. According to Edward Jones analyst Brian Yarbrough tells CNBC the network's Shama writes, well, bigger bikes are falling out of favor with younger riders, I've been saying that, Sales of the industry's larger bike with engines of 601 cubic centimeters or bigger fell 4.9% in the second quarter versus a year earlier. Harley said, all but one of the 36 models it sells are at least that big with some hogs weighing in around 1,000 pounds. This again, Shama reports, they need to see better growth with middle-aged and young people and their smaller bikes. They need to offset their 600cc plus decline, Jarbrol said. I told you guys, they only got 50% of the big market. I'll give them credit, they're not just sitting on their hands and waiting for things to change. Some of the things they're trying and starting are going to work. Huh. The million dollar question is whether that's enough to stop the sales decline, Jarbrol adds. Here's another ideal. How about working with scientists who are developing ways to make age cells younger, to keep more boomers riding and buying into their 100s? Yeah, everybody's doubtful about Harley-Davidson right now. This is a bad one. Philip Marcello, Boston, Massachusetts lawmakers opened and then abruptly suspended their inquiry Monday into troubles at the State Motor Vehicle Department 
that were exposed by a crash that killed seven motorcyclists. The Legislators Joint Committee on Transportation voted the recess just minutes into its oversight hearing after Governor Charlie Baker's administration didn't make some state officials available for testimony. Huh. Citing its on, own ongoing investigation. Yeah, we know how that's going to go. Democratic State Rep. William Struss, the committee's co-chair, said the panel would reconvene the hearing only when the administration provided more information and witnesses it sought. Yeah, it's going to be cover-up on this governor's part. Quote, We owe it under the horrible circumstances of this case to find out information and get the witnesses, he said. The hearing was prompted by a June 21st crash that killed members or supporters of the Jarheads, a New England motorcycle club that includes Marines and their spouses. Connecticut officials twice alerted Massachusetts about a drunken driving arrest against a driver involved in this crash, but the registry failed to suspend the West Springfield man's license before the deadly crash in Randolph, New Hampshire. Massachusetts officials later revealed the registry had been storing notifications of serious out-of-state driving violations since March of 2018 instead of acting on them. Baker's administration has said an ongoing review has led to some 1,600 drivers having their license suspended. The governor has also proposed legislation raising the state's standards for commercial driver's licenses above federal standards. The driver, 23, has pleaded not guilty to negligent homicide and remains behind bars. Ahead of Monday's hearing, Transportation Secretary Stephanie Pollack warned lawmakers that she and acting registrar Jamie Tesler were prepared to testify on their response to the scandal, but not the failures that caused it, which are the subject of an independent investigation. This is going to go on for years and nothing's going to happen. A report from auditing firm Grant Borden is expected in mid-September. Quote, I will not mince words. The registry of motor vehicles missed the opportunity to revoke this man's license to drive before the June 21st accident, she said in a prepared statement to the committee, which she wasn't given a chance to deliver. Quote, I am not ready to talk in any detail about the people who failed to do their jobs and how they will be held accountable. But I assure you, you, oh man, you assure nobody, man. Tesla, his prepared remarks said the registry has enacted reforms since he took over in late June from Aaron Devaney, the former registrar who resigned days after the crash. The agency has created a unit to handle communications with other state motor vehicle agencies, Tesla said. It is also reviewing all 5.2 million licensed drivers in Massachusetts to ensure records accurately reflect any actions taken by other states. 
That process will take at least several more weeks, he said. Quote, we recognize that the steps we are taking to address those failures do not make up for past shortcomings. Tesla said in his prepared remarks, which he also was not able to deliver to lawmakers. House Speaker Robert DeLeo called on the administration to participate, quote, without exception or qualification in the committee's work. No, they got a big black eye. That's why they're doing this. The legislator's oversight role should not and will not be subjugated to that of an outside auditing firm, he said in a statement. The Transportation Department responded that it has already provided hundreds of pages of documents as part of the committee's inquiry. Those include records related to the registry's new and old technology systems, as well as the agency's organizational charts, staffing levels, and contract with Fast Enterprises, the company that created its new technology system, which launched last year. The department said that other documents will be released once sensitive information is redacted, but that others won't be provided until Grant Thornton's review is complete. Ladies and gentlemen, here it is. The most listened to radio show on the planet. Even the other stations are tuned in too. Hollywood's Motorcycle Madhouse on Spotify and iTunes Radio. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Motorcycle Madhouse. Don't forget to go over to Insane Throttle's new YouTube channel and also get your daily dose of biker news every morning at HarleyLiberty.com. If you haven't done so already, go like the new Motorcycle Madhouse Facebook page. And until next week, I'm James Hollywood Machikari. And remember, keep that throttle cracked wide open.